if we are hungry, we yeah. can experience fresh things in God. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I particularly want to challenge anyone who's older uh, here, don't settle down. There's no such thing as retirement. There's new assignments. And, uh, you know, some of those people say, hey, listen, I heard you retired. I said, what do you retire? You crazy or something? You don't, re- you don't retire in the kingdom. You just, I completed one assignment. I've got a bigger one. We need to have a bigger one. You need to keep bigger, keep growing. Otherwise, I, I lived in a, we lived in a, com- in a uh, country community, and we not- I noticed something very disturbing, that when people came off the farm and then retired and did nothing, they died early. I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to do that. So we're not retiring off the farm. Fresh assignments. Amen? Amen. Why don't you open your Bible with me, and we're going to look in uh, Psalm 84. Psalm 84. Uh, Over to tonight's message, I want to speak tonight, and I'm going to also go through this in the uh, the conference too, uh, something that's very, very relevant for us now, and that is I want to speak tonight on the orphan spirit. I want to talk about the mentality and mindset that the majority of Christians live with, in spite of the fact Christ has brought us into something different, that the orphan mentality affects the way we live our life and our relationship in Christ. And sadly, so many people come in, they get saved, get born again, and uh, the best way I could describe it would be like this. It'd be to be given access to an account with $10 million in it, and you don't know where that bank is. So even though you have the money, you can't access it. And when we have an orphan mentality, it's exactly like that. We have access to riches in Christ, but we live as though we don't. And so I want to help people with that. I want to bring uh, insight and revelation about the orphan spirit, the the mindset, what it's like. And I want to also bring over the night during the conference, I want to talk about the, the roots that drive that mentality. What is it underneath that empowers it, the demonic origins of it, and why it holds so many people in bondage? and how you can be free. Then we want to talk about revelation of the Father. Uh, if we want to relate to God, we need to know what He's like. So get this. If you have a wrong image of what God is like, it will affect how close you get. So even though God wants to draw us near and has planned and desired intimacy, listen, Jesus said this. He said, this is my prayer. So Jesus is praying. He said, this is my prayer that the love that I experience and enjoy with you, Father, might be in them also. The question then is, are you enjoying that? Are you experiencing that? Or is that just something in John 17 you read about? See, so if we have no revelation of God, what He is like as a Father, then we'll project on uh, limited images or wrong images of God onto Him, and that affects intimacy. So while I was... Worshipping today, I also had a look around to see when it comes to worship, how many of us are engaging with God and how many it's just sing some songs. There's a huge difference between sing some songs, because that's what we do in church, and actually making a heart connection where we engage and become intimate with the God who loves us. And so that's the kinds of things I want to be speaking about over the next few days, and I want to give you some practical keys to help you in those areas. Amen? Okay then, so I want to share a message, and uh, we could call it one or two things. Uh, I'll call it just simply this, because you'll remember it because of the verse we're going to come to. I want to talk about how to pass through your valley, how to pass through your valley. How to pass through your valley, you could also call it how to maintain continued growth. How many know we go through troubles in life? What a shock, you know? I thought after you got born again, it's all going to go well. No, not at all. And uh, what happens is, 
God is determined. He loves us so much that having drawn us into relationship with him, he is determined to move us on and to bring us into growth and bring us into maturity. And sadly, we don't change without some stresses and pressures. And so you watch the journey of Israel through the wilderness. You find God let them celebrate for a little while the great freedom. And then the first thing he did was to bring them through a bit of a stress test to open up their hearts so he could heal them of all their accumulated bitterness. So when you look at it from their point of view, God seems to be very mean. I'm having all this trouble and there's no water. When you look at it from God's perspective, I got water over the hill out of sight, but right now I want to change you. I want you to know me as the healer of the broken heart. So whatever you're facing right now, your encounter with God is right around the corner. Whatever you're walking through right now, it is the stepping stone, the preparation for you to have an encounter that shifts you, changes you, and brings you to a place of enlargement. So we want to focus on that in this, in this passage we're going to look at in Psalm 84. Jesus said in uh, John 16, he said, in the world, you'll have a happy time. Did he say that? No, see, enough of you know the scripture to know he never said anything like that. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. In other words, what he's saying is, living as a believer in the world, you will experience pressures of all kinds on your life. And he says, but act courageously, for I have overcome the world. So you want to win, follow a winner. You want to overcome? Draw near to someone who can show you how to overcome. So we're going to look into the scripture here. We want to look how to overcome some of the things that happen and come into our lives. So let's read this, the passage here, and we'll read it from uh, verse, I'll read it, uh, let's pick it up at verse two. My soul longs, even thanks for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow found a home and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young. Even on your altars, O Lord God, my God, King and God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will continue to praise you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage or the process or the journey, who passing through the valley of Baca, meaning tears or sorrows, they make it a well or a spring. They make it. You make something out of life's experiences. It's your decision how you deal with what life gives you that determines what happens in your future. Let's have a look here. It says, it says, they go from strength to strength. Everyone appears before God in Zion. Okay, then. Notice there, it talks us about the valley of Baca, meaning the word Baca means weeping or tears. How many have ever been through an experience like that where you had, it was a very sad time. You go through it individually. We go through it at times growing up. We go through it sometimes as an adult. We go through it even as a church. There are times where life is not happy, where things are happening outside our control, relationships are breached, or there's betrayal in relationships, or disappointments take place, and the only way we can describe it is, I just want to cry. Everyone has those experiences. And uh, what many people have learned to do, many people have learned, instead of engaging their heart and leaning into God and learning how to become stronger, learn to bury and build a wall around the heart, and they've done it so long that now they can't connect to their heart and they can't enter into intimacy in relationship or intimacy with God. 
And it's not God's problem. It's an issue that's come about because we didn't handle our conflicts well. Uh, I was reading, uh, someone was talking to me when I was up in Taiwan, and they said that they talked to me about the Chinese word for endure. Now, we, in the Western world, we think of endure, man, tough it up, man, tough it. But in the Chinese uh, language for the word endure, it's got a picture of a heart, and it's got a knife over it, and you stab the heart. In other words, you just shut down what you feel. They have another proverb, and it's an interesting proverb. It goes like this, 10 years is not too long to wait for revenge, which means simply unforgiveness is acceptable in the culture to retain things in your heart and look for a chance to get even. You understand, these are, these are things in culture. They're also in our Western culture in various forms. And so we want to try and see if we can do something to help or see and understand here. So as we look here, we notice here it talks about a valley called the Valley of Sorrow. Now, there are many valleys mentioned in the Bible. I started to do a study of valleys. I wonder what other valleys are. Because a valley is a low place if they were going to do battles with the enemy. Battles were always fought in a valley. See, so, so you find, they don't fight battles on a mountaintop, they fight battles in the valley. They would meet on the plains, and there they would do battles. So the valleys are, are battle places. Let me just name a few valleys that are in the Bible, and I wonder whether, maybe you're not in the valley of tears or sorrows, but maybe you're in one of these valleys, then what is in here is also appropriate for you. So let me give you a few valleys that are in the Bible. In Joshua 7, 24, there's a, a valley called the Valley of Achor, meaning trouble. That's where you remember in, in that place there how uh, in the battle of Ai, they got about 30 people were killed and they said, what has gone wrong? God doesn't seem to be with us. We should be easily winning this and we've had a setback. So Achor was a place where there was a setback where people lost their lives and it was because someone had sinned and everyone was affected by what someone did. In the church, often people don't realize we are interconnected relationally. It is a body. It's not some organization. It's not like some club you belong to. It's a body we connect to. So if one person does something that hurts, it's destructive, it affects many people. And so the valley of trouble, maybe you're in a place of trouble. A valley is the low place, a place of battle where you're facing troubles and they may not even be of your making. That's what the valley of Achor is. In Hosea, he says, I will turn the valley of Achor and make it a door of hope. So God is able to take whatever valley experience, whatever trouble, he's able to take it and give you an opportunity, get you to look forward that the other side of it, there's something positive for you. We're going to look at some of the steps of that shortly. I'll make it very practical. In Ezekiel 37 verse 1, it talks about the valley of dry bones, the valley of dry bones. And you read the story, it, uh, it says exactly what that, uh, that valley signified. It spoke of being disconnected and having lost hope. So the valley of dry bones is an experience in our life where we feel isolated, disconnected from others, and we feel as though the vision, the dream we had for our future has been stolen away. We have lost all hope. Has anyone ever been in that valley? That's a valley too. But as God spoke to the prophet to prophesy into it, he said, can these bones live? Can these people who are so dry, disconnected and without any vision, any hope, can these people who are so discouraged and defeated, can they live? And the prophet says, oh, well, that's too hard for me, God. You answer that one. He said, you know. And he said, prophesy 
into those bones. And, and, he, and he prophesied, live! And they stood up and became a great army. See, so no matter how disconnected, no matter how dried out, no matter how much we may have lost hope, it only takes one encounter with God and the Spirit of God touching our life. And suddenly we start to become connected. We step up again. Strength comes in. See, God's wanting to do that to His church. Want to do that to us. Amen. These valleys, lots of valleys in there, right? How about the valley in Psalm 23? The valley of the shadow of death. Shadow of death. It's a valley, a deep, narrow valley where there's always fear of something would happen. So it may be to live in the valley of the shadow of death means the risk of losing everything that you value, the risk of losing friends, the risk of losing relationships. Often when people come into experiences like that when they're in fear, they will do anything to preserve the relationship rather than lean into God and find out what he's wanting to do in that valley. In the midst of that valley, David said this, I will fear no evil because God is with me. I found for many people, when they're going through a valley experience, they've suffered a loss, they've suffered a grief, they've suffered some kind of setback in their life. We ask them, where is God in this? They can't find God. They think he's not in the valley anymore. He doesn't seem to be with me. Just because you don't feel his experience, just because you don't have a sensation of his experience, that does not mean he is not there. He is with you in the valley. He said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never leave you. I am with you in your valley. David said, I will fear no evil because he is with me. God is with me. That's the life we need to learn to live, a life that's in his presence. So no matter what we face, and even if you feel some fear, God is with me. He said, and this is what he goes on to say. He said, this is the most positive. He said, not only will I not fear evil, he says, but God's going to create a table before me in the midst of my enemies. So what he's saying is this, that though I'm facing a frightening situation, I'm at peace because God is with me. And in the midst of that frightening situation, God begins to speak to me and give me fresh revelation. See, often it's in the valley the revelation comes. It's in the valley experience, God feeds you things that you never get any other way. Isn't that ex- it's extraordinary. I love the Word of God. So full of promises, so full of hope. There's another valley called, uh, in Judges chapter 16, verse 4, called the Valley of Sorek. Valley of Sorek was a place where Samson was seduced and defeated where he lost his vision, where he lost his future, where he lost his ministry, where he became bound in chains of iron. So there can be that some here today and you're stuck in that valley. Something went wrong. You made some bad choices and you find yourself and you've lost your way forward and you find there's something gripping your life, something got a hold of you. But I tell you, it was in that place that man encountered God. It was in that place we find as he repented, he encountered God and he came into his greatest event or feat in his whole life of ministry. See, you notice in every case with the valleys, there's always something on the other side of it. So we can either focus on the valley or we can focus on what God plans for us on the other side of it. You choose where you fix your attention. Amen? Here's another valley. In 2 Samuel 5 verse 18, the valley of Rephaim or the valley of the giants. The valley of the giants. Giant something that stands and intimidates you. So I wonder if there's something right now in your life is intimidating you. 
Could be a conflict in a relationship. Could be a conflict in a family. Could be a conflict in finances. Could be something, and it just seems like it's too big for me. It's staring me down, intimidating me. It's an old problem I don't seem to be able to get over. But it was in that valley that David slew the giant. It was in that same valley where they intimidated them. Someone who knew God stood up and said, he will come down before the army of the living God. He said, God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. You will fall before me. I'll chop your head off. That's, isn't that great? Not many people do that in the presence of giants. Here's you run the other way and have a howl or something like that. <laughs> There's another valley. And this valley we've got here is called the Valley of Barca. Notice it says, pass through the valley. So whatever valley you're facing right now, God's intention is you don't camp there. Don't camp in a place of disappointment. Don't camp in a place of grief. Don't camp in a place where you've been hurt or wounded. Don't camp in a place where you've suffered injustice. People camp there when they hold on to it and don't resolve it. People camp there when they decide to focus on it and make it their life. I've met some people and their whole life was centered around being victimized. They just literally, their identity was now as a victim. You notice when Jesus spoke to the man by the pool of Siloam, the man had been there for how long? 38 years, and he was crippled and couldn't get in the water. And Jesus asked him a simple question, do you want to be made whole? Now, how many know there's two answers to that? Yes and no. It's really a simple question, not a trick question. Do you want to be made whole? And so what did he do? He told him his story. How bad life is, how badly I'm treated. The question is, do you want to be made whole? Do you, do you still want to stay in that identity of being a victim, in that identity of suffering, or do you want to be made whole? See, he pushed him. He said, see, wholeness is not just that you get physically healed. Wholeness is you break out of that whole way that you used to live. So we, we think breakthrough, the pressure comes off me. No, for God, for breakthrough is to change life. Oh, you're quiet today. <laughs> think about that. Change life. So we choose whether we pass through the valley. Notice, and this is the tremendous promise. Blessed is the man, because it said, who passes through the valley, and it says they turn it into a well. So in the Bible, a well means a place of nourishment, a place of refreshing, a place of blessing. So what he's saying here prophetically is, whatever valley you're stuck into, or wherever you're stuck, firstly, God doesn't intend you to stay there. Secondly, he wants you to learn something there. And thirdly, as you come out of it, what you've been through becomes a blessing for others. In other words, you have testimony to give to others. You have something that can bring hope and change for other people's life. So listen, what you're walking through is not just about you. There are people waiting for you to break through out the other side. There are people waiting for your breakthrough because when you get the breakthrough, they get hope breakthrough's possible. Yeah. See, listen, I, 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 the Lord showed me something recently in a scripture and I thought, whoa, that is so good. Because we're, we're dealing and ministering many times to people who've come from broken families or abusive families or there's been alcohol, all kinds of things have happened that have created problems in their life and, and, they're, and they're suffering with anger and bitterness and all those kind of things. And I just saw something in Isaiah that just really just gave me a shift in perspective. And you read Isaiah, of course, you know the scripture, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to 
to preach the gospel to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free. We love all of that. But what most people don't do is read on a little bit further. What happens to the people who God connects to him? What happens to the people who get the healed heart? What happens to the people who then get delivered? It says, he says, God will give them beauty for ashes, oil of joy for mourning, and then and they shall be called trees of righteousness. Now it goes better than that. And it says, they, they, that's the people who let God do the work in their life. What will they? It says, they will become restorers of the past. They'll become the healers. They'll become the ones who rebuild the desolation of many generations. It just suddenly, the Lord dropped it into me one day. He said, you were born into that family to end that cycle of suffering and introduce something different for the future. If many people look back, all they can see is sadness and sorrow because one, they haven't forgiven and overcome the stuff. And secondly, they didn't get God's perspective in His mercy. He placed you in the family to bring an end to that stuff and to be a builder of something different for the new generation. Listen, whatever you walk through, God wants to heal you and then make you a rebuilder. It's not just for you. This is the problem. The blessing of God is not just for you. The blessing of God is to reveal His goodness and it's to be passed on to others. I will bless you and you will be a blessing. So we just come like beggars, like orphans saying, oh God, help me, help me, give me others best. No, no, he says, I want you to see as I heal and deliver you, I turn you into a rebuilder. You build a different marriage. You build a different family. You build different financially. You build a different future. You're to be a rebuilder. Make a well. See, right now, what we're doing with our families, I've got seven children, 24 grandchildren. And each year, yeah, exactly. We were busy. I was ex-Catholic. There you go. We, we, each year, we're working with one family group to create family memories and experiences. See, to build something different for our future. It was never there when I was growing up. See, so God showed me you can build different. You don't have to fight. You can learn the good from the previous generation, but you should step into more in God and build something better for the next generation. But you must be intentional in doing it. That's why God put you in the family is to create something better for the future. See, God's always like that. He, He doesn't kind of put you in a family there. I don't like you anyway. You can suffer for a little while and maybe I'll get you out of it. God isn't like that. He put you there so you could become a witness to the power of God to end the cycle of sin and build something different. It's quite a revelation. See, think of Joseph. Joseph got more, he he didn't just get over his brother's betrayal. He got more than that. He got the perspective of God. When the brothers came to him, he said, you meant it for evil. In other words, what you did was wicked. But... You did not send me here. God sent me here to be an answer and a provision for your future. Now you understand, he's gone well past being upset by what they did at the injustice. He's gone well past forgiving. He's now come to see, I see God set me here and caused me to go through, allowed me to go through these things as preparation for the 
destiny he had for me. You see, many people don't get it that often the things you're walking through, God is wanting to use it to prepare you. But you've got to see that. The man who passes through the valley doesn't stay in it. So many stay in it, stuck in bitterness and anger and frustration, resentment and grief and injustice and why, why, and and self-pity and victim mindsets, all of that kind of stuff. You're stuck in the valley. We're not to be like that. We're to come out of it and turn the thing into something quite different. You know, in my journey, I've gone through many, many very painful experiences, some horrendous experiences of life. But every one of them, God showed me how to turn it into a well to bless other people. Almost all of the ministry that we do comes out of resolving our own pain. And the revelation God gave with it was not just for us, it was for others. Come on, think about that. So God's got someone he wants you to minister to. Okay, let's have a look through the keys, the simple keys in here, and then we'll just get the chance to pray for people. Now let's go through it because there's some very, very simple keys in here, and maybe you haven't seen them before. Number one is found in verse two. My heart longs, even faints for the courts of God. My heart and flesh cry out for God. Here's key number one. Hunger for the presence of God. Hunger for God. I was in a conference in Taiwan, and they were lined up at 4 a.m. to get in and get seats. That was not Australia, by the way. No, that was Taiwan. Hungry for God. See, hunger for God can be cultivated in our life. You cultivate it through prayer and fasting. You cultivate it through prayer and fasting. A deep hunger that burns for God. I'm more hungry for God now than ever before. See, so hunger for God can be imparted to us. God comes to those who are hungry. He doesn't come to the casual. Oh, I think I'll drift up and see if anything will happen. Oh, not much, I can tell you. But those who hunger, the Bible says, those who hunger shall be filled. So notice the first key is to hunger for God. If if all you want to do is focus on all the injustice of life, have a bottle of beer, sit down and find someone else who will listen to the sad story and then tell you this. It's going nowhere. Hunger and thirst for God. He has the power to shift you. He can move you out of that place. Hunger for the living God. Seek after His presence. So number one is hunger for God. Then number two, notice down here, it says here, uh, it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. So here's the second one. Second key that we see in there. The house of God is the local church. Stay committed in the midst of adversity. Don't run away. Listen, there's no family that doesn't go through stuff. Every family has challenges on the way. It can be many reasons. But because we have a challenge, that's never a reason to leave. You leave by revelation, not by reaction. When you leave by reaction, it takes ages to reset up the opportunities you had and the relationships you had so God could begin to work through you at where you were before. For some people, they never make it there again. Uh, For me, the Bible is very clear. God sets members in the house as it pleases him. So if God set me in a house, I belong there. That's my family. And good times and bad times, 
We're seeing this thing through. And I found that by taking that attitude, we've never been spat out or hurled out or walked out or run away when there's been difficulty. We walk through the difficulties and God gave the grace to grow. Anyway, here it is. Pretty well clear there, isn't it? You can see it. Blessed is that man. He dwell in the house. And they continue to praise God. So in the midst of it, they're praising God. Here it is. And, and we're reading to the meat of it now. Verse 5. It says, blessed is the man whose strength is in you. Whose strength is in you. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? The strength. That's the word strength to overcome. It's the ability to overcome. Blessed is the man whose ability to overcome is found by leaning into God, not by trying to control their emotions and circumstances. Out the tendency of all orphans is to do this. I'm on my own. It's up to me. I need to survive. That's how orphans think. A son or a daughter thinks like this. Dad is with me. I'm going to lean into him. He will help me. See, but if you don't have the revelation that God is my father and he's with me in the hard times, the good times, the wonderful time, you won't lean into him for strength. You try to control everything. And once we get into the pattern of controlling, first we control our emotions and our internal life and try to give a present an image we're doing better than we are. Then that becomes a lifestyle of keeping up an image and then we keep everyone at bay and we do all we can to control everything around us. That's not God's way. That is the way of an orphan. That is the way of operating under the power of the world. Oh, blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord. So we need to stop trying to control and start to become vulnerable to the Lord. Now, this is the thing. See, Jesus said, except you become like little children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 18, 3. And what does he mean by that? He's not saying unless you be childish. Childish means immature. He's saying become childlike. Now, I've been away with grandchildren. You know what they're like when they get hurt? They just run and they cry. They come over and give me a hug. That's what they do. Run and leap on our bed. I want a hug. So that's grandchildren. That's what children do. They they run and they they express or become vulnerable about what's going on in their life. See, this is the thing. It's called humility where we come to God, not as I got it together, I'm strong, but rather, God, I'm weak. I need you. I need your help. Father wants to help us, but we have to come as vulnerable children. We have to come asking for his help. Blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord, who becomes vulnerable in asking God for help. And many people won't do that because they're living a lifestyle of keeping up an image. For what purpose? Because inside, I'm so afraid if you see who I am, you will reject me. And the fear is real and the behavior is real, but we can make a different choice. We can become vulnerable to God. God, I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. See, we, we think that to be strong is everything. No, in God, it's exactly the opposite. As we become weak and vulnerable to him, that's when his strength is revealed best. Remember what Paul said? He said, he said I sought the Lord several times for this thing. He said, no, my strength is seen best in weakness. In other words, when you're vulnerable, that's when I come through the most. Whoa, you're getting quiet now. <laughs> Maybe there's something you need to let go of open up about. 
See? So, so notice it says who, who, uh, who's, who passes through. It, it says whose heart is set on pilgrimage. That's what the New King James one says in verse 5. That means the heart is set on process. It means we embrace that God has a process for restoring us and moving us where he wants to. Now, I'm all into power encounters. I love it. Power! God sets you people free. I love that. It happens all the time. We have lots of things all over the place. And I was just in, on the car. On the, I was in the car. Yeah. I, I, came, I came, I took a plane from Napier to Auckland, then Auckland to, to Sydney. But someone wanted to see me. So I said, oh, I've got no time to fit in. I tell you what, I got a couple of hours in the airport between flights. I said, pull up in the car. We'll go and park up in the car park. <laughs> and I'll pray for you. So we went to the car park. He met me in the car park. I, just, I, I tried not to think what it would look like to everyone around the Indian taxi driver who was watching. And this guy opened up his heart. He shared what his problem was. I prayed for him. Man, that car rocked and shook. Man, and he got massive deliverance. And I said, whoa, I'm going to miss my plan. I've got to go. So it was all over. He got me back to the plane. There it is. See, the power of God. I love the power of God. God comes in power. But he also works through process. He's a God who journeys with us, and sometimes there's a process you have to take. See, forgiveness is something you do in a moment, but there's also a process of engaging your heart and what you're really feeling and choosing continually, not just to let it go, but to bless the person till your heart's free. There's a process. So we need to embrace God's process. I found for some of the journey I've had to take, I've loved the times of encounter with God, and there's also the process that you go through in allowing your heart to express what's in there. Yeah. Uh, so I'll give you a couple of examples, then we'll finish this, this message here. So, I said, so how, do we, how do we go through the process? Well, here's the next step. We need to process pain in the presence of God. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example of it, too, and uh, what it, I'll explain what it looks like, and I'll give you an example of it. To process pain. Most people don't want to feel any pain. They just want it all to go away. So they pray, fix me or give me some medication so I don't feel anything. That is not getting rid of pain. Pain is a reminder of vulnerability. Pain is a reminder we're human. Pain is a reminder that we have suffered and experienced loss. So to process pain in the presence of God means to come before him and the first thing is face honestly what happened to me. Now, that's a hard thing for people to do. See, Christians get into a denial mindset or minimizing mindset. In other words, ah, nothing happened. I'm okay. It's all over. You know, or they come up with something. Oh, it's all under the cross, under the blood. They come up with all these kind of weird sort of things, and they're hurting. And they're just denying. They're using doctrinal theology to deny pain rather than come and acknowledge it. So at the cross, many things Jesus suffered for at the cross— for example, he took our shame. The death on the cross was a deep suffering by systematic, intentional, public shaming. So if you've ever experienced shame and the terrible pain of it, Jesus can understand that. We can bring it to him. Right. See, when Jesus died on the cross, it says Isaiah 53, he took all that. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, deeply intimate with grief. The grief of being betrayed, being rejected, being misunderstood, being spoken against, being publicly criticized, being publicly ridiculed. He understands all of that. And at the cross, he took it all. 
So my first step is to actually connect with where I'm hurting and bring it to the light. Now, the best way to do that is with worship music. You have time in the presence of the Lord. You worship and you begin to surrender control. Holy Ghost, bring to the surface what I've been desperately trying to hide. Holy Spirit, I bring out this pain. And you find you weep. You weep. As you encounter God's presence and love, all you want to do is weep and weep and weep. So the first part is just to come into the presence of the Lord and to surrender to Him and worship. And as you just have some worship music going, allow the emotions to come up. Remember what happened and how it affected you. Maybe even journal it so the words come out into the open. That's what I'm wrestling with. Journaling is a very powerful way of taking what's in your heart and putting it out in front of you so you can process it. And then grieve over it. Just grieve. See, if you, if you don't grieve before you forgive, you won't really forgive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because forgiveness, Jesus said, you need to forgive from the heart. That's right. yeah. Jesus, uh, John, uh, in, in Matthew 18, 34, 35, forgive from the heart or you are delivered to tormentors. Yeah. So to forgive from the heart, the tormentors are demonic spirits which see when there's unforgiveness and will gain access. I remember, I remember in a Bible school, we had hundreds of students there, and I taught on dealing with the, father, the issues with their father and their mother and processing forgiveness. And rather than just lead them in a prayer straight away, I got them to write a letter where they expressed what had happened, how they felt about it, what they were struggling with, the pain. And I said, now bring that tomorrow, ready to forgive. And what we'll do is a faith action. You will release the letter as you release the letter you will release forgiveness at the same time. So the letter contains the message, the pain, the injustice, what you've suffered. As you release it, you're going to make a decision to let go, and then we'll pray for you for the power of God to touch you. So anyway, we did that, and the first few went fine. We led them through a general prayer. I started to pray for people. I got to the third one, and as I tried to take the piece of paper out of the girl's hand, she wouldn't let it go. Now, I don't know what came. See, this is, this is, I've got to be healed of this. This is a bit of competitive thing. So anyway, she's pulling on it, so I pulled harder. So then she pulled harder back. Tiny little Chinese girl. She's pulling hard. In the end, she's pulling so hard, I, think, I'm, I'm, I can't get this thing out of her hand. And I'm thinking, if she needs to forgive, she needs to let it go. And the Lord said, what are you doing? He just spoke to me, just like that, in the middle of the prayer ministry. He spoke to me, what are you doing? Oh, I'm trying to get the letter out of her hand, obviously. And he said, that's what unforgiveness looks like. She knows she's hurt, but she's refusing to let it go. She'd rather stay in the hurt. How about that? She said, you've got to choose. I said, honey, you have to choose. I can't take this from you. And she, she made a decision in a moment. She let it go. The moment she let go, I didn't even have to touch her. Power of God came on her, and she was set free straight away. That's how important letting go is. And not just let go, but then start to bless the people who hurt you until your heart is completely free. How about that? Sometimes there's also a place we need to repent that we've held, you know, real anger and hate and bitterness. Amazing what people hold in their heart. I've seen the sweetest girls and sweetest young people. Man, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. And then all what was in them, the rage and the hate and the anger and all the bitterness, and it all came out. Just like that, in an encounter with God. So how do we deal with stuff? We come and worship the Lord. 
in the place of his presence, then we surrender control and start to admit to the pain and the grief, writing, journaling, whichever way works for you best, until the pain has started to flow, then we release it to the Lord. Let go forgiveness, let it go, and start to draw on his love. The revelation of his love is what brings the deepest healing to the broken heart. Blessed is the man whose strength is in the Lord. Not trying harder, but surrendering and encountering God. And it says, they then make it into a well. Wherever you've opened your life and encountered God, it becomes a well. It's your testimony. You can tell people, I was in pain and I got hurt. I can remember in a season of immense pain where we discovered that uh, one of our daughters had been raped when we were in a building project. We hadn't known about it. It had been hidden for four years. Then it all came out and some terrible events involved the police. It was a very, very heartbreaking, difficult season. And at the end of that, we suddenly got the truth. This is what had happened. And to say I was shocked is to understate it immensely. I was shocked. I was actually very frightened then because I thought, I prayed that God would look after us and protect us. I suddenly feel more vulnerable and more afraid than I've ever been in my life. I felt also very angry, angry at God because he'd allowed this to happen. Now, those feelings do not go away. I drove to church every Sunday for the next three months, angry at God. But I got to church and said, now the moment I cross over there, Lord, I expect that I will have peace to minister to people. It's not their fault. It's nothing to do with them. It's between you and me. <laughs> and the moment I would drive into the property, tears would all go. I'd feel the presence of God and I'd be able to minister. Things would happen. As soon as I drove out, the tears would start straight away. That went on for three months until I understood and worked out what I needed to do was to become more honest with God. That I'd tried almost in a way because of being a pastor, you know, tried to kind of not be honest with him when in fact I was really angry. So I just opened my heart and I just poured it out. Absolutely poured it out. I wept and wept and wept. And then suddenly after I wept for about an hour, then I felt his presence come. And he spoke to me. He spoke to me words I have never forgotten. They were revelation to me. I was complaining that I'd prayed and now this had happened. I didn't know why I should pray anymore. I didn't know I want to pray anymore. And, and this is what the Lord said. When you pray, you're not praying aright. I was shocked. I said, what do you mean? He said, when you're praying, you're praying that I will bless your life and make everything run smooth. He said, I am not committed to your comfort. I am committed to your character. I was shocked. And he said, in the midst of this adversity, I will bring change to your life and your family. And all the anger just went out like that. And then while I'm sitting there, he spoke to me again. This, this has really broke my heart. Now remember, when God brings revelation, it shifts you become a well. Eh? And I was sitting there and he said, you know how you're feeling right now about what happened to your daughter? And I said, yes, I have very deep feelings. And he said, I feel the same way about my children when demonic spirits and sin defiles them. Wow. And then I began to weep because I felt it was like 
another father talking to me as a father say, I get it. I understand what it feels like. And I got a touch of God that day that just brought healing immediately. And we just walked through the season. And our, instead of being in a place of grief, I was in a place of freedom. Did the problem change? No, the problem didn't change for a little while. But then God made a way and she had a supernatural encounter and it was over. Just like that. Wow. A dramatic encounter with the Lord and she was healed. Now, not everyone gets healed the same way. There's many ways people get healed. But what I'm sharing with you is that we need to become vulnerable where we've been hurt and bring God into it. And then we grow. Now, here's the, here's the last part in that. It says, they go. That's those who've been confident in God, who've remained praising Him and connected to His family, who have found strength and let go control, who have embraced the process and let go forgiveness and open their heart to Him. It says, they make it a well and they go from strength to strength. So you say, I want to become stronger in God. There is a way God gets you stronger and it's not just by coming to a prayer meeting and it's not just by sitting in a church meeting. It's by encountering him and drawing on his strength and overcoming something that's difficult in life. God sees the other side of it. Yes, he sees you're in pain. Yes, he sees you're in struggle, but he sees the other side, someone smiling, full of joy, who's broken through, who's carrying greater dimensions of awareness of God, greater experiences of him, and is now empowered to bring blessing and help to someone else. And that is what he's raising up. He's not raising up a generation of self-seekers who just want blessings. He's raising up a generation who will pour out and be the answer to the world's problems. Will you be such a person? Will you be such a person? Will you let him heal your broken heart? Will you let him lift you to another level from strength to strength, having encounters with God, coming to new dimensions? Listen, in our season of life right now, I cannot believe how good it is. I, can, I just hunger for the seasons of fasting and time with God. They have become so precious and intense. It wasn't always like that but it is now. I found if we will continue down that journey, whenever there's an issue, we face it, as he said in Psalm 84, and turn it into a well. We go from strength to strength and our life becomes richer in God. You can't get it listening to CDs. You can't let it just listening to messages. All of those things help. Ultimately, we must encounter Him. When you encounter Him, you have substance to bring to others.